Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience, welcome to Achieve Wealth Podcast. This is James Kandasamy. Achieve Wealth focuses on commercial real estate and especially focusing a lot on value-add real estate. And with today, we have Kimberly Radiker bays from Dallas, Texas. Kimberly have done almost 430 million of assets, uh, specifically in multifamily, and this is just under her own asset management. And you know, 430 million represents almost 7,200 units. Uh, currently, they own, uh, they still own like 5,000 of uh, that units, and they focuses a lot on um, deep value add, which is an asset, not say an asset class, it's a type of uh, value add that you know gives you the highest uh, return. So they have done almost 10 deals up to now. Um, one important thing that I want to mention before we uh, bring Kimberly live is uh, Kimberly owns uh, construction management, property management, asset management, and she also owns materials management, which is an important aspect uh, of uh, value add in vertical integration as well. So, hey, Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Good, good. So you own a lot of units. You have been very successful in your value add real estate acquisition and you're playing in one of the hottest market, Dallas. So can you briefly walk our audience and listeners through on how was your journey since the day you started, what year you started, and can you just walk through your whole experience? Sure. Um, I started in 2007 with some single family houses. Um, and kind of did that when my kids were really little. And then as they got a little bit older, it was harder to take them into value add, uh, fix and flips and rental houses and that sort of a thing when they were getting into stuff. And so, uh, took a little bit of time away from single families and then got into multifamily in 2011. So, um, bought the first property was a 77 unit property in Irving, Texas, and, uh, um, went full cycle with that one in only 15 months and then did a 1031 into a 244 unit property. Um, while we still own that one, we bought a 444 unit property in Arlington. And then kind of as we sold it, it just kept growing. So purchased three properties in 2015, um, which have now all been sold. And we bought three in 2016, three in 2017 and seven in 2018. And then one so far this year. So all of those, we still own the 2016 and on, we still own at this point. Um, so that's 4,874 units across 14 properties scattered all across the Metroplex, east to Garland and west to West Fort Worth. So, Awesome. Awesome. And you do a lot on deep value add, right? So uh, can you explain why did you choose deep value add? Um, just, I guess we weren't scared of it and we had the sort of a knack for it from doing some of the single family stuff that we had done previously. So got started with that. And so um, because we do self-manage, because we have our renovation teams in-house, because we have the materials import, it's a lot easier for us to undertake some of those projects. I mean, there's some of those projects that I definitely would never hand over to third-party management. It would just be a real mess if you did, uh, probably. So it really takes an awful lot of hands-on stuff. And even then, there's there's plenty of speed bumps that roll along with um, Deep Value Add. We have a property that we purchased almost two years ago 
that had 200 hard down units that hadn't been occupied in at least 13 years that we know of. Uh, my guess is closer to 16 or 17 years. So that's been an ongoing project and it's definitely hit various little bumps along the way with uh, city inspectors and various things and um, you know pipes that hadn't been used in forever. Most of the copper was gone, all those sorts of things, but we finally have all that almost all the way back online. So. So when you analyze deep value add, I mean, I'm sure you look for the value, right? Like you, you bought deals where there was a lot of units down and I think there's a lot of mismanagement. And um, I mean, is, it, is, is that kind of deal easy to find nowadays? No, it's not. Those are the ones that are that deep value add are very, very few and far between at this point. But there is a ton of value adds still available. Um, just kind of depends on what you're looking for. So there's a lot of properties that have had some work done to them, but maybe more of the exterior has been done and the units haven't seen as much on the interior. And there's also a lot of room for value add on the management side. There's a lot of owners, particularly that have owned for a long time in the market that haven't kept up with the rental increases that DFW has seen over the past five years. And so oftentimes, um, even a property that's in pretty decent shape, you can go in and definitely do some renovations and add some value there. But a lot of uh, value can also be generated just by getting all the units up to market. Yeah, yeah, I know it's harder to find deep value at nowadays. And and like for the for example, the last deal that you did, uh, you bought one deal this year, right? Can you describe how right. many units is that, and can you describe the characteristics of that deal? Sure, absolutely. So that property is six hundred and fifty units um, in Dallas, and that one actually is a is a pretty good example of what I'm talking about as far as just making the difference in management. Um, some of the units have been renovated, not quite to the way that we would renovate them. So there's some stuff that we're adding to that, but there are at least kind of some partial renovations done there but they had third-party management on that site and um, occupancy had really dropped and they replaced the third-party management company and the new management company did get it filled back up, but not really at market rents. And so um, the rents were quite a bit below. So at just kind of walking in the door, we were able to lease many of the units for a hundred or $140 more the day after we took over than what the prior management was leasing for right before then. So there's a lot of value add that we're achieving just by, taking stuff up closer to market. So Dallas is a very hot market. I'm sure, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure about this. So is there a lot of people looking for that kind of deals? And how did you get that deals? Why did the broker bring it to you? Or you have to go through that entire bidding war process? Um, on that one, there was sort of the, there was sort of the bidding, but it, um, one of the things I think that really helped on that one, it's a broker that we've transacted with many times before, but also uh, sort of a neat story. The seller and I ended up on a panel together at a local conference uh, oh, while cool. we were in the offer process. And so uh, I think it was right when we were at Best and Final and I was like, hey, this is the property that you own, right? And he's like, oh yeah. And so anyway, we became kind of friends through the whole transaction and even a little bit before that. So I think definitely that relationship with the seller um, helped as well. So there's a lot of sellers that we've purchased from that helps us find deals. It is a very, very competitive market right now. Um, I will tell you, we've looked at probably 120 deals since then. And there's two or three that might work out depending on kind of where the pricing shakes out. So, um, but that would, you know, it, it's really, really hard to find anything in this market at the moment, but there is something, some things occasionally. Um, and there's some things that we're able to do that some other groups might not be able to because of the import, because of the stuff that we have in-house, because of those synergies and um, cost savings that we're able to achieve. 
Got it. So let's say you, you, I mean, you said you have underwritten like almost 120 deals, right? So do you do a sniff test and can you explain to us what's a sniff test out of that 120 deals? Um, sure. Well, I have, I have somebody that helps with acquisitions and gets everything kind of loaded up for me, um, runs all the preliminary underwriting. So that definitely helps a lot because uh, being able to do that all by myself would be very challenging. We also had an intern this summer that helps with some of the properties that we get, um, less than ideal data for as far as uh, bad formats and when you get you know a pdf front roll that doesn't convert well and all those sorts of things so um but definitely we have sort of a preliminary underwriting that we do um and a just a spreadsheet that we've built in terms of what we feed in and what we can get out of that and then obviously much more detailed if it passes the initial sniff test but there's a lot that we um do look at just in terms of what percentage is renovated general area um what we think we can do with the property. Uh, fortunately, because we own in so many different areas of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, it makes it pretty quick and easy to underwrite a lot of the properties because we can look at them very quickly and we own a lot of properties that would be a comp or we have owned something that was a comp or we've already evaluated something that was a comp and so oftentimes we're able to look at the rents and kind of know whether or not something's gonna work pretty quickly. Got it. Very interesting because, you know, deals are hard to find, right? And you have they to are. go through that big funnel of deals. And, you know, that's, that's a great tip to use some interns to do some underwriting because underwriting do take a lot of times, especially when you have a, you know, RAND roll in PDF that doesn't convert and you have to like look at a lot yeah. of things inside the RAND roll, right? So, and uh, how's your company structure right now? I mean, I think you are like the CEO and you, how many people working for you? Asset management, underwriters, analysis. Can you describe about 160 people under the total umbrella? Um, so we own the management company. So that includes um, both management and maintenance personnel that are out on the sites, um, regional managers, our accounting department, um, the materials sales division, the guys that work in the warehouse, all of the guys in our renovation crew, um, and then as well as you know people that handle a lot of the investor relations, the acquisitions, underwriting. All those pieces. Did you say 60 or did you say 160? 176. 176. Okay. I was writing 60. So yeah, that's a big, that's a big crew. So you have the whole construction management, property management and materials as well, right? So can you describe how is the materials company is being set up on top of the property management, construction management, or maybe the whole, how the whole chain of vertical integration works and how does it benefit in terms of giving you a value proposition for you to win deals or do very well in certain deals? Sure. So Exist Multifamily is sort of our, um, the materials import arm that also we have a graphics division. So we've started doing signage both internally and for um, other groups as well. So materials and graphics both do internal business for our projects. And then also um, a good amount of the sales is from other investors in the area. So we have, um, we do sell the parts, but as far as to our properties, um, one of the big advantages we're able to have is both on the graphics signage, um, branding, and then also on the materials import, we pass all of that through at just basically loaded costs. So there, I mean, there's some cost allocation just in terms of the staff at the warehouse and the storage facilities and those sorts of things, but it's all basically at cost. And so that's a huge savings to our investors that translates into additional return for them. Um, we also, the construction arm is really a big partner to the property management arm. Um, what we do for the construction is really the internal stuff. There's tons and tons of great um, 
general contractors as far as exterior. It's very easy to get different people to compete on projects, and there's quite a few really good players in town. But the interior renovations are really something that a lot of construction groups um, struggle with. And so that's the biggest reason that we brought that in-house. A couple times we've tried using third-party vendors, and every time we have, we've always sort of regretted it and brought everything back in not too long afterwards. So um, we really have enjoyed having that piece. The big thing that that enables us to do is we're actually, um, our renovation crews are actually person that's managing those is kind of plugged in through our property management stuff. So we know exactly what the status is. We know when a new unit is coming up, we know how to prepare for it and schedule it, get everything ready to go on that front. Got it. Got it. Do you have any partners of managing this 176 people company? Um, My husband now kind of runs the exist side of the business. That's the materials and construction and graphics. Um, He kind of took that over. He was a healthcare executive for a long time and then um, came and joined the team a few years ago. Um, But otherwise, I don't have any actual direct partners, just um, an outstanding team of people around me. So. Wow, that's, that's very impressive. You are managing uh, 176 really people. employees that, have, that are very close friends and everybody um, really does an awesome job. I've got a really strong team around me. Certainly couldn't do this without them, but as far as actual partners, um, don't have partners at this point. Absolutely, that's, that's really, really impressive. earlier on, but yeah. they... I don't think so. I've ever interviewed anybody. I mean, even though I interview a lot of operators, uh, I've ever interviewed someone who has you know, $430 million in assets under management. I think 5,000 units is pretty common, but someone who has completely vertically integrated, including materials and have 176 people to manage because that's a, that's a big accomplishment and congrats to you. Like I said, I have an outstanding team around me. So yeah, like, absolutely, absolutely. The, team. And the, whole, the whole leadership team is really incredible and, and each plays their own piece of things very well. And so that's okay. what we okay. can do. And I want to give credit to your materials companies, Exponential Materials Group, right? Right. And so we re- actually rebranded recently as Exist Multifamily. Oh, so from, the, from the, the EX from Exponential and then Import Services and Technology, because we actually are developing some technology to help with the value add process. Um, and then we have the import division, obviously. So oh, yeah, let's Exist talk about that. Multifamily is kind of what we rebranded as this spring. What technology are you all developing to help with the value-add process? Well, so the pieces that we already have kind of completed and ready to go are all of the due diligence pieces. So both the lease audit and the unit walks, getting counts for all of the units so that we know exactly what we need to have in our material kits to do the renovations. So that piece of it's done, and then we're um, just continuing to work on integrating it into our property management software so that a lot of the things that we have to do a little bit more manually now um, in terms of processes to, to walk through when, you, you know, when units need to be walked, what the processes, what pieces they need, and all of those sorts of things will be much more automated as we go through them. So um, we just keep automating more and more pieces as we can. Uh, so what you're saying is you are creating a due diligence software. So when you do your due diligence, it's also on top of giving what needs to be changed. It also it gives you the materials needed to change and also it packages into certain kits. Yes. Oh, so that's, that's awesome. Really things about our materials. Um, business. So right now it does uh, due diligence, but it's really more going to be value add software when everything's kind of complete. It's really going to manage the whole value add process, um, really kind of tracking some of the key pieces of asset management along with the due diligence process, the materials, supply requisitioning, tracking, um, and kind of really being able to monitor staff and progress very easily, um, even when remote. So it's, it's 
it's all a work in progress and everything always takes a little longer than you think it will on the yeah, development. Yeah, yeah, I mean creating a software and a structure it does take a lot of time, but at least you have really good vision to integrate the whole process because I know I do a lot of value add as well and it's just hard to manage how many units is rehab, what is the cause and you know what do right. we do the exact right thing for that particular unit or not right because after closing, yeah. you know, we are we are running like at 100 miles an hour, right? And we don't have to. Sure, absolutely. So um, my husband Matt is actually really, really good at kind of all of that process flow stuff. Okay. So he, he's been kind of really leading a lot of the stuff on the development side. But we do have the due diligence available. Um, so it's really convenient for us because the material side of the business, we actually offer kits to our customers. So we will come out, walk through the various floor plans at your property get it, you know, accounts for, this is how many vanity lights, this is how many cabinet pulls, this is how much tile you need if you're going to replace the backsplash, all of these things. Make the whole parts list so that the manager is actually able to call and just say, hey, I need a kit for an A2 and a B1 this week. And we will deliver a single box that has the ceiling fan, the tile, everything that you need for that unit, exactly down to the precise number that you need in that box so that everything could just go into the unit. Everything gets installed. All the trash goes back in the box and you can throw it out again. So wow, that's, that's awesome. been a, um, so it's a really cool feature that we have that is unusual for most of the materials suppliers. Got it. And how, how much of volume do you all do or how much revenue you all do in your materials business just to get the scale I of how much you're going to hit about 5 million this year. If, memory okay. serves on that's for everything right what you guys use for yourself and you you, you sell to others right. we're, we're probably about a 30 percent customer would be my best guess at the moment um okay. so the other 70 percent is all third-party business wow 30 70 percent is for other people and 30 percent right. is for yourself and it's never really i mean we're, we're starting to do some of the marketing efforts on that now and now that we own 100 percent of it but everything that it's grown to that point has all just been kind of word of mouth a few other friends of ours that were investors were like, Hey, can we get some of this stuff too? Yeah, sure. We can work through that. And so, um, it's just kind of grown from there. Got it. That's very interesting. And, um, let's go into value add, right? So let's say your, your budget got cut into half, right? Uh, let's say you're supposed to have a $1 million in rehab budget. Now you only have 500,000 uh, rehab budget, right? So, what are the most important things that you would prioritize in, in a value add uh, repositioning of multifamily? Um, so I think a really big piece of it is just hitting the wow. So there's obviously different, um, you know, arguments about how, how far is too far and what you need to renovate in, in a particular unit. But basically the thing that I've found is you just want to make sure that you have enough there to get the wow. So if you don't have enough, you don't want anybody to ever be looking in at it and go, oh my gosh, it's this beautiful apartment. Oh, there's that brass doorknob over there. So I've seen some other renovations that other people have done. So I'd say don't, don't forget the inexpensive details that make the wow work, um, even if you are kind of cut on budget. So there's definitely some bigger things that are more expensive. Um, but some of it's going to, a lot of the inter unit interiors make a huge difference the, you know, as far as making sure that everything is fixed up nicely, I mean, that we, you know, get, I guess getting, cut, getting a rehab budget cut in half would never be a very fun thing. <laughs> yeah, that's why, I mean, it forces you to think, right? What is the most valuable wow you can get, right? Let's say you can spend $1 it, 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 and get that big wow versus spending $10 and getting a smaller wow. So which one is the, the biggest wow versus 
the amount of money that you I mean, if if the paint and exterior is really horrible, then that can make a really huge difference. Okay. If it's in pretty good shape and it's not in bad condition, um, then that's probably on the lower end of things. So it sort of just depends on um, on that particular property. So there's certain properties where I would say the exterior has to be the, a huge piece of the wow and you absolutely have to get that right. And then there's other other times when it's like the exterior really isn't bad. It's so if you focused on your interiors for a while, you could probably get your rents up and then generate enough income to be able to check us on the exterior. So was there a deal of deep value at deal that you have done? And, you know, you had certain expectation in terms of performer and what you're going to expect. And, but when, after you close on it, you realize your performer was completely out because of something, right? Can you describe that kind of deal and what did you learn from it? We really haven't had anywhere that we weren't able to work through the performer. I mean, there's certainly been bumps in the road and everything. Um, I suppose with Forest Cove, one of the properties that we have right now, like I said, uh, we're coming up on two years and finally now all of the down units are going to be done before the two year mark. But we were really kind of hoping when we walked into it that it was going to be done in a year. And we hit various different um, problems along the way. One big thing was, uh, when we got the first, we got the first building online, everything was fine. People were moving in, everything's been working great, but we got to the set to the electrical inspections on the second building An electrical inspector came in and said, well, you can't have electrical panels in the closets in new construction. <laughs> and I said, well, it's not new construction. It was built in 1974. <laughs> it's yeah. older than I am. And they're like, Nope, you can't have it in new construction. So we had, I mean, so it kind of had to pause on work for several months while we worked through that issue because we didn't want to continue working on the rest of the buildings um, without knowing whether or not that was going to be an issue that we were going to have to move later on. So there was definitely some, de- some delays regarding stuff like that with the cities. The cities are always a little bit challenging to work with. So those can cause um, some timing delays, which can impact pro forma a bit, but we've been very fortunate. We've always been able to really hit, the rents that we were projecting. Um, oftentimes, you know, there can also be issues on any project with property taxes. Property taxes are really a big thing. And so one of the, we've shifted some of our underwriting for stuff that we're looking at now. Um, Dallas T- County and Tarrant County are completely different in terms of how they respond and what you have to do on underwriting um, and new properties at the moment. So Tarrant County, we have uh, numerous lawsuits pending or about to be filed, I guess, based on property taxes. Um, But all of those basically got assessed at 97 to 98% of purchase price. Uh, Both in uh, Tarrant and Dallas County? Just in Tarrant, Tarrant County. Okay. Dallas County was much, much more forgiving. Okay. Uh, But then Dallas County also has some of its own issues as well. So... um, you know, there, there's some really good rent growth going on in Tarrant right now. And we'll see how all the litigation turns out um, on the property taxes. But that always takes a long time to play through. But that, that's definitely been a big piece of um, the underwriting at this point in terms of how things are impacting pro formas. Uh, the portfolio that we bought in the middle of last year, we we're actually very fortunate, I guess. Um, it's partially in Dallas County, partially in Tarrant County. And so we were way over budget on property taxes on the Tarrant County side, but way under budget on the Dallas County side and netted out to about $3,000 below budget across the whole portfolio of six okay. properties. So, um, oh, okay. That's you know, interesting. It, it's amazing how, how close you can tie out to your performance in a way that's completely unexpected. Yeah. I think deep value add, that's one offer. I mean, it, it offers you a lot of, 
parameters to be forgiven, right? In case you found something that is not as what you thought about, because there's so oh, much I- of so much of upside that you can you can make mistakes and still come out really good. Oh, absolutely. That's very, very true. And also, I mean, just anytime you have a good rehab, I mean, any deep value add, you're going to have a really large rehab budget. So even though things can go wrong, it's still a small percentage, just exactly to your point. You know, if you have a $2 million renovation budget and you encounter a $200,000 expense you weren't expecting, it's not any big deal. If it was a million dollar renovation budget, it's a pretty huge deal. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I realize that whenever I do deep value add, you know, it's just, you know, you know yeah, you find things that you didn't expect in the, in the beginning before you close, but, you know, you, can, you always have some things to work around because you have so much of cash to play around, right, in terms right. of value add. Well, and we try to be really conservative, too, in terms of what we budget, make sure that we have some contingencies. Um, I always try to make sure that we have a decent bit of cash on hand. Like, that's really one of my big focuses is trying to make sure that we always have enough cash in the bank that when things don't go quite as planned, it's not any, it's not the end of the world for anybody. Um, you know, a huge, huge priority for me is to make sure that we never have a cash call. We never have, and I don't, I don't ever plan to if there's any way I can avoid it. So um, that's one of the big things that uh, I really focus on is making sure that I maintain enough cash. We have enough cash at closing to be able to do what we need to do, cover some bumps in the road, cover a few delays, make sure we've got some contingencies just in case, you know, as you're going through your value add process, occupancy slips a little bit more than you'd planned. All of those things I try to really plan for and try to hang on to the majority of any cash flow until we've got everything really sort of wrapped up, at least the big line items taken care of and completed and then at that point we know what kind of cash we have to work with and really can start paying it out but without ever having to worry about missing a distribution or cutting a distribution or anything else so it's always just a constant kind of steady or steadily increasing uh, process after that got it so what are the tools that you use for asset management i mean you have like five thousand units right now and can you tell us some of the you know tips and tricks in asset management that you're using nowadays to manage all these five thousand units um well, I guess we've got a lot. I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate over the past year because I used to do a lot of the um, oversight on the accounting side very personally. Um, I still do review the financials every month, um, but I've been very fortunate to really build out the accounting team, uh, get some great people on the accounting team now. So we're to where we're getting to the point where the last couple of months, by the time that the financials have actually gotten to me to review, I really have basically no questions. And so um, that's definitely sped things up a lot. I think we're getting some really good interaction between the property managers and the accountants so that they um, are asking the right questions. We're getting the right information back. If something isn't working well, it's getting put in front of the director of operation or the regional managers so that we can address stuff and change policy. So that's a big piece of it is really kind of the interaction between the asset management, the accounting, the property management, getting all, all the teams to kind of work together. Um, we obviously have, you know, an inordinate number of spreadsheets and different tools and um, reports that we look through as far as uh, out of our property management software to determine kind of how the assets performing. Um, got monthly reports that kind of track where we're going on the projects, where things are hitting, where we're over budget, where we're under budget, um, how we want to prepare for all of those things. Got it. That's very interesting. And uh, before I forget, uh, so are you, I mean, I know a lot of deep value add does need a lot of short-term loans and uh, are you doing, still doing short-term loans? And uh, now we do do bridge loans. Um, I, I am not a huge fan of huge prepayment penalties. 
Um, so I really have sort of shied away from doing most of the Fannie long-term loans. We did one. Um, we were actually able to sell and, um, kind of the buyer covered a lot of the cost of getting out of that loan, but that was a multi-million dollar prepayment penalty that would have been owed. Um, so that can definitely have a big impact on returns in the future. So especially because a lot of our investors are really looking to increase their net worth. So we do do shorter term hold periods. It never made sense to me to get tied into a 10 year loan if the plan is really to hold three to five years. So we've been very, very fortunate recently. We've been able to work with a lot of really good um, bridge lenders. Uh, we've got to have a bank that has done several loans with us, um, some that have already been paid off and some that we still currently own, and then also a life insurance company that also does some bridge loans. So we try to really look for things that give us a decent bit of exit flexibility. So that have prepayment penalties that burn off within two to three years at the longest, but then hopefully that have some extensions available or that have longer terms than that to give us some flexibility so that we don't get caught in terms of having to refinance in a really tight window. So aren't you worried about now we are where we are the market cycle and you know breach loan does cost certain expiry right after a few years. So aren't you worried about that or do you think that risk is mitigated? Um, not really because like I said, so the properties, the portfolio we bought last summer, um, we actually have a very, we have a five-year loan with a two-year extension available that has basically no prepayment penalty um, once you've paid about two and a half years of interest. So I can enter and we actually are able to pull various properties out sooner as long as we still hit that interest reserve. So if we sold one today, we would have to hold the others maybe two years and 10 months or something instead of two years and six months to cover, to break even on that. But so it really, we have pretty much free exit from two and a half years to seven years from purchase. So that gives a long time that you can still sell some things ahead of time if you know, things stay good for longer. And at the same time, if things go bad soon, you have time to hold through. So been really looking for stuff, not real short term, the, the real, real short term bridge loan, two year, you know, with some extensions and that sort of thing, I think can be kind of risky at this point, but we've been able to get quite a bit of stuff that's, you know, sort of a five year fixed, but that's free and clear exit after three, sometimes with some extension flexibility in there. So it's got a lot of you've got long enough to ride through things. Um, we've also been able to find some of those fortunately with that are bridge loans that are fixed rate, which is very nice. So it is a little bit higher interest rate than a Fannie or Freddie. Um, but having that exit flexibility really matters to me because even with like a Fannie Mae loan, yes, you have time now to get through a downturn, but none of us really know where the economy is going to be 10 years from now or 12 years from now either. So on any of those, it's really just sort of oftentimes a three month, free and clear exit at the end. Um, so that's still a very narrow point of time to transact or to refinance, even if it is a long, long time from now, it's still a pretty narrow window to hit. And so a lot of the loans we've been able to do um, give us quite a wide window of, you know, a, a couple years in which we can transact or refinance whenever it makes sense with the market. Got it. Very interesting um, answer. Because I, I really like having five-year fixed rate and after that, you know, another two more years extension because I thought the bridge loan is only three years plus two. It looks like there are other options as well available out there. There's, there's a lot of different options. There, I mean, there's a lot of um, people that are just doing like a three plus one plus one or a, you know, five, three plus two kind of thing, but there are definitely others that'll do different 
options and that'll get more creative and really do what it needs to do in order to meet your project. And so um, we've been very fortunate to find some of those and develop good relationships with some of those lenders that are, that think a little bit outside the box. And we've been able to structure some stuff that really does give us a nice window um, in which to exit if it's sooner or if it's later, just depending because nobody quite knows, everybody thinks something's going to happen, but nobody knows when. Um, so. Got it. Very interesting. So can you name your secret sauce to success, like a couple of secret sauce uh, that you think, you know, this is my secret sauce to success? Um, well, my team is a huge piece of my secret sauce to success. The fact okay. that Natasha really needs any sleep certainly helps. Um, so I think a lot of it really is just how hands-on most of us are with the, with the projects, with the process. Um, even as we've grown, obviously, each of us have smaller and smaller pieces across, but we really do pay attention to those things. We pay attention to the details. Um, I think it's been really important that we do genuinely care about our, our team members and our employees. Um, I think that they get that, and I think that gets us better people. Um, and for the most part, it's allowed us to retain better people. Obviously, this is a very, very, very tough labor market. So anytime there is a position that's open, um, it is a challenge to fill it. And it's a challenge to find the right person to fill it. But I think some of that really kind of genuinely caring about the team has made a difference for a lot of other people. Other secret sauce, I guess, I always kind of looked at the renewals a little bit differently than was standard in the property management industry. I think things have shifted a little bit more towards my way of thinking about it um, now. But I remember when I first kind of joined the industry in 2011, everybody was very used to, well, okay, are we going to do a 3% increase? Are we going to do a 5% increase? Everything was a percentage increase over what the person was paying at the time. And so one of the things that I always looked at was, no, you really have to look at it in a more finite dollar amount. Because if you have somebody, let's say that's already $20 over market for whatever reason, maybe they took a short-term lease the first time, around and then you've got somebody else that's 150 below market why would you give the bigger increase if you do a percentage increase to the guy that's already paying over market mm -hmm. than you would to the person that's hundreds of dollars below market so um really kind of structuring some unique formulas to try to balance things out that's one of the things i've learned a lot about as time's gone on it was always kind of my original uh foundational idea was that you should give a bigger increase to the person that's further below market um, but then also I've really kind of gotten to fine tune a lot of that through the years and it, and it varies um, through various seasons and through different properties and different areas of town. Um, but really have found kind of a matrix of stuff that I do to try to uh, find the right balance on renewals so that we get as much more additional rent as we possibly can without um, dropping occupancy too far. So what is, so. what is that matrix? Can you share it with the audience? How do you oh, decide? It's a, let's say it's, it's a lot more. It's a lot more complicated than that. I don't even know that it's all written out. It's it, it, like I said. That's part of this. I guess that's part of the secret sauce. Is just, um, <laughs> okay. Looking at some of it, but it, it is just kind of, you know, really balancing through and finding the right balance. And like I said, it varies considerably property to property. I have some properties where they can, you know, you can bump people straight up to market. And even if it's a hundred and fifty dollar increase, it doesn't matter. They'll just pay it. And I've got others where you know, if there's, if it's nearly that large then you lose the whole so you just kind of are able to tweak it um going through it yeah okay. we do a lot of that too i mean when someone is below market we usually you know go person by person and make sure you know is there anything that you can do to upgrade and don't hurt them right i mean you give them right. something and you you do partial sure. increase rather than just completely bring them to market right so that's right. some of the things that uh, we do as well so what, right. what, 
<laughs> find the right uh, matrix, I guess, right? Is there a proud moment in real estate uh, ventures that you think I'm really, really proud of this particular moment and I'm going to remember that for my life? Can you describe that moment? Hmm. Um, I guess there's, you know, there's a lot of really big things. I guess the, one of the biggest things is just... Um, hearing some of the investor testimonials that we've done recently, this is the first time that we've ever had a 506C offering open, um, which allows us to do advertising uh, to the greater populace. Everybody before was just a 506B where somebody had to already be on our list prior to the time of the offering open. And so um, we actually had some of the investors come in and do testimonials. And that was, that was pretty cool to really, I've heard a lot of the stories, but to have people that were actually willing to even go on video and tell their story, and tell about the difference that it's made in terms of what they've been able to do with their family, people that have been able to retire that didn't expect to be able to retire, people that were able to stay home with kids or retire early or take trips that they never thought were possible. Um, that's been a pretty huge thing to kind of just really hear the difference that it's made to people. I mean, that's, the, that's sort of the biggest goal is to make a difference. Um, and I guess one of the other really proud moments is just kind of some of the programs that we have at the sites as well. We partner with a lot of 501c3s that do different benefits. So we've got some that'll help with during hard times to cover rent. We do um, angel trees for some of the residents. We've got vendors that have worked with, uh, um, worked through us to try to help various residents along the way. We have an organization that actually teaches classes to improve job skills and financial management skills with some of our properties that are in the um, lower income area. And so I actually remember when he was calling to, that was the, the not-for-profit was calling to work with us. And you could tell, I guess, well, he, you know, he kind of gave us his pitch and whatever. And we're like, yeah, that sounds great. We'd be happy to help. And he just kind of didn't know what to do with it. Um, it was kind of funny. He had to, he, he, he had everybody the, reject them, right? Always overcoming the no objections ready, but had no idea what to say when somebody just said, sure, we can do that. We'd be happy to, we'd love to work with you. And um, so that was pretty cool to, to really, we work on trying to bring programs and really try to make a benefit to the residents as well. Make sure that we're taking, that we're taking care of the people that take care of us. Yeah. It's amazing how many people, uh, treat, you know, uh, real estate as just a money-making tool. Right. I mean, but right. for me, it's more of a life-changing tool, right? You can change a lot of people's life by not only collecting rent, but providing other services that they may not have access to which a sure. landlord can do, right? It's a, I mean, it's a, huge, it's a huge way to really benefit the lives of others. I mean, yes, we make money for the investors and we're very fortunate. One of the cool things about our company is that we have had lots of smaller investors. So there are lots of investors that have been with us since early on that have doubled and tripled and quadrupled their net worth. And so there's many of them that were not accredited when they started with us that now are. And so that's one of kind of my own personal goals is to help 100 people become millionaires. That, that, that's kind of one of my personal goals. But um, then also just the difference that it makes to employees. We try to give everybody a great place to work. And so, you know, when we first started with that first property, we had one manager and one maintenance guy, two employees. I think there were six contract guys that were helping with some rehab, but that was about it. And now we're over 176 employees and all of those people have a good solid job to come to where they're treated like family and where they have benefits and everything else. And we've given the employees opportunities to invest periodically throughout in the projects. And so that's made a big difference for them as well. And then just really making a difference for the residents. We try to give them a good place to live. Yes, we do increase their rent. Um, so sometimes we're the big bad wolf in that regard, but we try to at least give them a really nice place to live. We try to 
take care of things, fix things when they're broken. It's amazing the properties that we've bought that have had tarps on the roofs. And you ask the residents and they're like, oh, we didn't, what, why didn't you tell us sooner? Well, we didn't really think you were going to do anything about it. It's been like this for three years. And it's like, why should anyone have to deal with a roof leak for three years? That's just yeah. ridiculous. And so it, it does make a difference to go yeah. in and, and clean up some of those properties that have been sort of ignored or just treated as an ATM. Yeah, it's amazing on how much uh, people owning apartments but never really cared for the apartments, right? It's, right. It's, a, it's a complex asset class to manage, right? I mean, you have to manage the property, Absolutely. you have to manage rent increases, you have to manage tenants, you have to manage vendors, you have to manage banks, right? There's so many things that you have to manage and it's just not easy to manage and not many, very, very few property management company can do that. And whoever can do that, they will be really good at it. It is definitely a challenge. There's um, a lot of investor people that have been interested in investing. They're like, oh, I, I want to do what you do. And I'm like, okay, well, make sure you think through it really carefully first. Um, <laughs> it's a great thing to do. It's a great business to be in. Don't get me wrong. But this is not easy. This is not just, oh, I'll buy an apartment and, it, it, you know, and it'll print checks and it'll be so simple. You're going to have to have, you have staff that has to run them. And even if you have third-party management, you still have to watch the third-party management company and you have to figure out, how you're going to step in when you have, you know, if there's an issue with that. And um, there's, there's a lot to keep up with and a lot to manage if you really want to do it well. Yeah. It is a pretty forgiving asset class, as you mentioned, especially on the value add side. So, you know, yes, if you're trying to hit a hundred percent return and you know, you only hit a triple, oh shucks, we only made 80%. Um, <laughs> you know, so far we've been able to hit awesome. our, <laughs> so far we've been able to hit our targets, but that is definitely much easier, I suppose, than buying something that's true truly just cash flow where all you have to do is upset one resident and your occupancy slipped just enough that you're not making quite as much as you thought you would before. Yeah. So. Yeah. Correct. All right, Kim, why not tell our audience uh, how to find you and uh, how to get hold of you? Sure. You can reach out to us at exponentialpropertygroup.com is our website. Um, there's lots of information on there as well as some of those investor testimonials that I talked about, um, some pictures of the properties that we own and have managed and also ways to contact all of us for any more information that we can provide. Awesome. Thanks for coming into the podcast. It was one of the uh, huge value add podcasts. I mean, you gave a lot of value add advice at the same time. You gave a lot of tips about value add as well. So I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I finally got to meet you. <laughs> finally got to meet you too, thanks. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.